Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. So glad to see you. And uh, I just want to take a moment right now, take a step away from my notes, and just say something I feel like the Holy Spirit impressed in my heart to share in the first service and again in this second service. And it's this, what a powerful moment today that we had on the stage in celebrating the next generation. Right, to look at the children who are graduating from one season to the next, high school students who are graduating from one season to the next, and, high, and college students who are graduating from one season to the next. And I just felt like the Lord impressed on my heart to share with you that that's what ministry is all about, is it's about legacy. And some of you think that when you serve on a Sunday morning and you show up early to run sound or to be on the stage or to be in a kid's classroom or to be in a production room, that it's just about this day, and I'll tell you that this day is important, but, but most importantly is the legacy that is, is being left behind. And so as I looked on the stage this morning and I saw uh, Joy and I saw Clint, founding college pastor, call, uh, uh, founding youth pastor, and to just know that the fruit of the last eight years, right? These are people who pioneered the ministry and then they stuck with it. They didn't just show up one day and then leave the next. They showed up and for the last eight years have served faithfully. And clearly that was handed over to Pastor Madison a year and a half ago. And she has taken the youth and the college ministries to levels that we never dreamed that they could go to in our church. And isn't that what we want, right? Don't, don't we want that the person to follow us to build on the foundation that was laid and be more successful than what we were? And so I'm grateful for the past. And I'm grateful for the present, and man, I'm just telling you, my heart is filled with excitement and anticipation for the future. And so I just want to speak that over you today, that when you come and you serve on a Sunday morning, when you cut donuts, when you serve a donut to a child, or when you brew the coffee or fill it up with water, or however you serve on a Sunday morning, you greeted somebody as they came in, it's about today and it's about the future. And you just never know what faithfulness over time is going to do. Clearly, my heart's filled with emotion. I see my son up here. I see two of his best friends beside him that are like sons to me. And, and I'm grateful to God that people didn't just do ministry out of duty and obligation in their lives for the last eight years. They've done it out of a passion for God and the passion for the next generation. And I, I can't tell you how many times people ask me, how in the world do you have so many young families and so many young people come to Cross Point Church? I can't tell you how many times I have that conversation. And the response every single time is this. I said, it's because the older generation has leveraged everything that they have for the next generation. They've leveraged their finances. They've leveraged their preferences. They've leveraged everything that they have so that they can be part of a church that their kids and grandkids want to come to. And I just want to tell you, for the last eight years, there has been zero resistance to that vision and to that mission to reach the next generation. And I just pray that God helps us to continually keep the main thing the main thing, that we would continue to leverage all that we have. It doesn't matter. I'm getting older, right? It doesn't matter what my preferences are. 
right? I want to be in a church that my kids and my grandkids know Jesus and love Jesus and want to come to. And that's what we're part of right now. Can we just give God praise for that? Powerful moment. And then even just the other layer to realize that uh, so many of you have poured into the lives of the kids that were on the stage, right? Whether they uh, were fifth graders coming into youth or youth going into college or college going into youth. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the legacy that you've been investing in in these kids. A couple more things before we dive into the message. Number one, I am not sick. Okay, Friday night, there were three rugby games. Uh, my son plays rugby for Waverly Shell Rock, uh, Go Hawk Club, rugby, yay. And, uh, and the last two games were closer. They were just way too close for any parent's comfort. And so I may or may not have yelled my voice completely out on Friday night. And so this is the benefit of that. And so I'm sorry you have to endure that today. I hope it's not as painful to you to listen to as it is for me to speak it uh, today. But Waverly Shell Rock State Champions. I love it. Can I tell you, I can't wait for the day, and, and oh man, I'm just going to say it. I can't wait for the day that all of us feel as inhibited in church as we do at the athletic fields. Right? Like when the clock ran out and the Ankeny parents in front of me had been cheering the whole time for their kids. And I have been cheering the whole time as loud as possible to overcome their cheers from behind them. And then when that final try was scored, I kid you not, the clock's run out, and I'm just standing there, yeah, you know? And like seriously, what would it look like if all of us, instead of thinking that this is some hoity-toity refined place, would realize like this is the place that the Spirit of God dwells within our hearts, and we can be excited about it. When you see your kid come forward at the end of service to pray, how about you get as excited about that as you do when they score a try or score a point in a game. And so seriously, I can't wait for the chains of religiosity to be lifted off of some people in this place and for us to just give God as much glory as he deserves. Amen? I better get to my notes here. (laughs) Two more things. I, I, I don't know that I've got these in order, or I think I've lied because I've said however many things, but I think really two more things. Um, One is, as we talk about the next generation, there are so many students from different schools that are participating in state track this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and so we can be praying for them that God will help them uh, to do their best. And then uh, finally, yes, there's a finally, oh, finally, we have changed the order of service, and those of you who have shown up late uh, are like, oh, you did? Uh, Whoa. Have we always done three songs in the service uh, at the beginning? So these are not passive-aggressive comments. This is like me just telling you that we have changed the order. And so if you show up late, it's likely that you're going to miss something. And so I would just encourage you to make it a practice to come early, uh, get some coffee and donuts beforehand, fellowship with people, talk to people, introduce yourself to people. And we've tried to do it as much as we can to create an environment that's welcoming so that you want to come early. And so I would just encourage that. Come early. Stay late if you want to. And uh, and. Don't come late because then you're going to miss stuff. So uh, let's look at the Word of God this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 15. It's also going to appear on the screen. There are several passages that we'll look at today, so I would encourage you to uh, to just take note, and then you can go back and and look at some of those uh, later as well. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born... 
and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. God, I pray as, as we look at this passage and others this morning that we would recognize that no matter what season that we're in, that today this message is for us. And so I just pray that you would open up our ears right now that we would hear exactly what you want us to hear, open up our hearts to receive and our minds to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. I think if we were to map out our entire lives, that the majority of us would be able to look back in our past and see God's unrelenting, unwavering faithfulness to us long before we even cared about him. I think in addition to that, that at, we would see moments where the enemy consistently tried to attack us. And throughout life, we have these two forces at work in, in, in the uh, high events of our lives and the low events of our lives, every moment pulling us in two different directions. And if we're aware of them, then we're able to, to surrender to the one and not the other. And so Paul is writing this letter to uh, the church in Galatia, and, and in verse number 15, again, he says, but when he who had sent me, set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I want to pull out three phrases from this passage this morning, and the first is this, that, but when he who had set me apart before I was born... But when he who had set me apart before I was born, this is so fascinating. And one of the reasons why this phrase is so fascinating is because of the person who wrote this passage. The person who wrote uh, this letter is Saul of Tarsus who became Paul, an apostle of Christ. And so when you read about these two people in the New Testament, they are the same person with two different names depending on which season of life that they were in. And so if Saul or Paul is set apart from birth, and then he has this Damascus Road supernatural encounter with Jesus, but then in the in-between time, it significantly has this rough life, to say the least. He lived a violent and blasphemous and murderous and legalistic and awful life that doesn't reflect the characteristics of the kingdom of God or, or who God is. What does this mean, that he was set apart from the beginning? What does it mean that he was set apart before birth, especially considering that he lived a horrid life in extreme darkness. Yet Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, it's not just about super Christians that the Bible says this about. It says it about us in the same way. Just as Saul turned to Paul encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, so have you and me. Believers in Christ are set apart before we're born. I want to look at a couple of scriptures that talk about this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
These scriptures just said that before the foundation of the earth, he chose us. As I look around this morning, there are some of you who are a few years older than me, but I'm pretty sure that this passage has you beat, right? You've not been around since the creation of the earth. And the Bible says that before the foundation of the earth was laid, you were set apart and that God had a plan. God was up to something in you before you ever breathed your first breath. The same thing that's being said about the Apostle Paul is being said about you. This isn't just about Paul, it's about you and it's about me. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, before any of us breathe our first breath, God said, I have plans. And I know that I've already covered this, but let me say it again. You are uniquely wired and uniquely placed. It's not an accident that you are living in this day and age. God has created the days for you, and he's created you for the days and the days for you. The next phrase that we see in Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, is not only was Paul set aside before he was born, Paul writes, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. Not only was he set apart before he was born, that Christ was pleased to reveal uh, his son to him. And so are you hearing what's taking place here? Like Paul was a horrible human being. Saul was a horrible human being. Yet he has this encounter with God, and God says that he delighted in sharing his son Jesus, revealing his son Jesus to him. When you read the Bible about who Saul is, some of you would want him dead. Some of you would not want him to be an apostle. This man kicked down doors and dragged out men and women onto the street and brutalized them and killed them. This is a guy that some of you would want a drone strike on. It wouldn't be Jesus that you would hope would be encountering him on the road. Instead, you would be hoping that SEAL Team 6 would show up to encounter him. This is the type of guy that Paul is. I'm not overplaying it this morning. When you read the New Testament and you see what he did to Christians, he was nothing short of a terrorist. Some of you are like, there's no way that I would wish that upon him. I would wish that he would be in my small group. Until he murders you and everybody else in your small group burns your house to the ground after taking all of your possessions out of it. That's the kind of guy Paul was. But as Paul recounts it, not only was he set aside, you've got this period of long suffering from God where Paul was just completely out of control and God was long-suffering with him. He was completely blasphemous and wicked and evil. And God didn't match his behavior with Paul's destruction. Instead, God matched his behavior with his redemption. And I think that's powerful this morning. In fact, such is the grace of God that on this specific day, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was on this road to go brutalize Christians to imprison Christians and cause destruction, and instead Christ meets him on this road and he saves his life. And that's where Christ has encountered us and found us. This is true about us. It isn't just true about Paul. We also have had gaps between when we were born and when we were saved and where we are today. And Paul's saying that God was involved in all of that, that God is at work. We know that God is at work because of the third phrase where where Paul says uh, that in verse number 16, it continues, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And so here it is again today that Paul was made for the day and the day was made for him. All of his background, from his training to his intellectual understanding of the world to his zeal for God, even though it was misplaced and actually aimed violence towards the people of God, 
All of this is redeemed and saved and pulled in by the power of the Holy Spirit and then flipped around and unleashed on the Gentile world. And this is true about you also. It's true about you also that this God who steps into Saul's broken, busted, angry, violent, narcissistic at some level existence and he redeems him. It's the same God that's interested in being in your story in the same way. God doesn't seek to waste a single one of your tears, a single disappointment, a single heartbreak, a single loss, a single betrayal, or a single victory. He wastes none of it. He steals back from the enemy and reconciles and redeems it in such a way that we've been set free to walk in a life of identity and purpose and belonging that can't be taken back from us because of our backstory. And I think this might be a part in, or in view of what, when Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And here's what I recognize this morning is that you've got a story and I've got a story and my story is not your story and your story is not my story. There are some things that have happened to you that haven't happened to me and there are some things that have happened to me that haven't happened to you. But the purpose of this entire series is that all of us would marvel and be in awe of what God is up to, right? When we look at the unique story of what he's doing in me and the unique story of what he's doing in you, that we would be in awe of what God is up to. In Exodus chapter three, Moses asked this question of who he is. And he especially, he especially asked this question because God has asked him to do something and Moses is asking this question of who am I that I should do with this task that you've asked me to do? I love what Pastor Levinsky said during worship this morning. Without his presence going with us, I don't want to go, right? And so we need his presence every day. And so if you're just reading Exodus chapter 5 through a natural lens of this, and if you're looking at this through natural eyes, then you're not going to see all of the things here. Instead, you're going to think that God would respond back with Moses' qualifications to fulfill the task that he's asked them to do. You're going to think, who else would be up to this task? I mean, Moses speaks Egyptian He's, he knows the layout of the palace. Of course, this is the perfect guy. But in Exodus chapter, five, Exodus chapter 3, God doesn't highlight Moses' qualifications. He doesn't highlight his talents or his natural abilities or his experience. Instead, look at this. Here's what God says to Moses. He says, I will go with you. I will go with you. So he's not highlighting Moses' skill, even though God is the one who helped wove those skills into his being and pulled those skills out of his story. Instead, he's just like, nope, I'm coming with you, and that's why you're going to be successful. That's why it's going to work. It's not because of your own talent or ability, but because God is going with you. It's so good. And God has been a part and, and, and at work in your life and wants to redeem every part of your story. He's been shaping and forming you for the days and for these days he has for you. There are three primary ways that the enemy likes to crush our ability to walk in the days that God has created for us. And the first one is this, is that we would simply live lives of regret. That he would let us live lives of regret. 
For some, it might be subtle, and for others, it might be massive. It can be a moment that you regret or a season, or it could be a series of of decisions that you've made that you regret. And I just want to tell you this morning, for those of you who are moving on from uh, the season of high school to college or to the workforce, and those of you who are moving on from college to your next level of education or, uh, or into the job place, that this is a ploy of the enemy to try to get you to live in a place of regret from your past. And I just want to tell you that what you've experienced in high school and what you've experienced in college, the enemy wants to use to destroy you and keep you bound and living in that place of regret. And I just want to tell you this morning that Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from that. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins to him, that he's faithful and just to forgive us. And so this morning, before you step into that next season, I would encourage you to deal with whatever issues that you have in your life today, to lay them at the feet of Jesus and not live in the past of of past decisions and past regrets. Some of you have this, if, if I would have only known then what I know now, and you're so fixated on your past in such a way that it's robbing yourself of what God is doing now. And I bet for Paul, he would have this somewhere on his radar, because he tells us in 1 Timothy, he says, I was a violent man and a blasphemer. He says, but God, God revealed his mercy to me. And he says he revealed his mercy to him for two reasons. Number one, because he acted in ignorance. And secondly, so that you might know his unlimited patience for those who believe. So think about that again. As, and I just encourage you to read the New Testament and see how awful Saul was. And it just makes these passages come alive even more and be even more significant. Paul says, so that you might know that if God had unlimited patience with me and extended his grace to me and delighted in revealing himself to me that there's hope for everybody in this room. Everybody. And so I don't know all of your stories, but I bet that they aren't darker than Paul's. If we were to do a video testimony of Paul this morning, I think it would go a little bit like this. You know, I just remember the first time that I killed a Christian. It was a mob. It was crazy. And I remember the feeling of it and I liked it. And so I just went on this tear for the next two years and to do anything that I could to find Christians and harm them and kill them and abuse them and shame them and take their stuff. And I'm just guessing, I don't know everybody in the room this morning, but I'm guessing that's not your story. And it doesn't mean that there's not darkness in your story. The point I'm trying to make The point I'm trying to make this morning is that Paul probably has you beat. And the Bible says that he has you beat. He says, so that you would know someone far worse than you was saved by grace through faith and then profoundly and powerfully used by God despite their background. So the enemy wants you to be bound up by your past regrets and to always be oriented in the past. You live in this if only and you dwell in a reality that doesn't exist. So for those of you who find yourself saying or hearing, if only, if I only knew then what I know now, can I just tell you, it's not a reality that exists. So I know that there are movies like Back to the Future that my generation watched growing up. But to this day, nobody has invented a time machine that works to where we can go back into the past, right, and fix the mistakes that we made in the past. And so the devil wants you to to fixate on a reality that doesn't exist. And so we've got to leave the past in the past. And so some of you have... have, uh, have had awful things happen to you and some of you have made huge mistakes that have had collateral damage around that's so significant that it's hard for you to look past the past 
and to be in the present. But I just want to tell you this morning that no matter how much you say, how bad you are, or how unlovable that you are, or how much that you've shamed yourself, the gospel bids you to let the past be in the past and to stand in what God has for you in the now. So you won't be able to fix everything that's been broken. You won't be able to handle all of the collateral damage and make up for that, and the Bible's not asking you to. Instead, it's asking you to own your sin before God and before others and to let the Spirit do the work of reconciliation and healing. So the first thing that the enemy wants us to do is to get us to live a life of regret. It's how the enemy steals our identity and purpose. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Secondly, if he can't get us to live lives of regrets, he wants to get you to live lives of bitterness and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And I'll just tell you, it's a huge issue in the church and outside of the church. Over the past few years, outrage has become fashionable. The number of people who've left communities of redemption for communities of revenge is heartbreaking. And I'm not saying this morning that really evil, demonic, or horrific things haven't happened to you. I'm not telling you that you can't be angry over it or, uh, or that you should just get over it or, uh, or just blow past it. These are painful soul-level uh, soul things. But what God wants to do is redeem those things to weaponize them and attack the one who's ultimately responsible for the pain in your life. And when you reject the redemption of that moment or that season and take on revenge, the Bible says you not only destroy you, but also those around you. God's looking for people who recognize that there are issues in our world, but not surrendering to bitterness and revenge as a default posture. There's some people with good intentions that are, are leading causes with bitterness and resentment that are causing more victims than, than twice as many victims as what they were And so I just want to encourage you, don't surrender to bitterness and rage and resentment and don't give yourselves over to communities that are built around revenge, not redemption. There are stories throughout the Bible where the enemy meant things for evil that God turned around and used for good. In Genesis chapter 50, we read about a man named Joseph who had gone through all kinds of things. So innocently, over and over again, he was betrayed by his brothers. He experienced neglect and abuse. And he got to the point where he was able to say these words, that what the enemy meant for evil, God has used for good. Joseph had every right to be angry with his brothers and what they did to him, but he processed his anger and he didn't allow it to destroy him or others. The third way that the enemy tries to keep you from fulfilling your destiny if he can't get you to live a life of regret or to live a life of bitterness is he'll just paralyze you. In Matthew chapter 25, verse number 14, we read this parable, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. He who made, and made five talents more. So also who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. The final man was paralyzed, not physically, but mentally. God gives him this talent in this parable and he gives him an opportunity. And what does he do with it? He's stuck and he just buries it. He's afraid of failing. He thinks that maybe it won't make a difference at all. He's completely paralyzed, and I wonder how many people around us are paralyzed. They're stuck. Spiritually, they're stuck and paralyzed. The enemy wants you caught up in sin so that your struggle with sin is normal and to get you to think that everybody 
does it. Can I just tell you this morning that I hope that our church would be a church that recognizes that people are where they are, that Jesus gave his life uh, to redeem people, to save them from that, and set them free from it, right? So for those of you who are bound up in sin this morning, I just want to tell you that Jesus gave his life so that you don't have to remain bound, up, bound in sin. Instead, he gave his life so that you can be forgiven of your sin and set free from sin. And I just think too often in the church, again, people are imperfect, but I think inside the church and definitely outside the church, we have normalized sin to the point that if somebody's struggling with sin, we just go, oh yeah, that's normal. Right, So we normalize people being in bondage to sin. And I just want to tell you, that needs to stop. Right, So again, if you're bound in sin this morning, I would encourage you to confess that to the Lord. Allow him to forgive you and set you free. Walk in the freedom that he's given to you. Join a group that you need to join. Celebrate recovery or you know, whatever you need to do today to experience freedom. Get an accountability partner. Do whatever you need to do so that you don't continue to normalize walking in sin. Those of you who are graduating from high school and graduating from college, this is going to be a ploy of the enemy to try to just get you to normalize what was normal in the previous season. And I just want to encourage you today to cut it off. Cut it off. Don't go into this next season thinking it's normal. Instead, let Jesus set you free and walk in victory and let that be normalized. Amen? The enemy would want you to think also that where you are spiritually is all that God has for you. And I just want to tell you that this needs to become your floor where you're at today. Paul tells us to eagerly, eagerly seek the gifts of the Spirit. And so I just want to encourage all of us that we wouldn't become comfortable with where we are, but instead that we would seek more. The Holy Spirit desires so much more for you. When we see Jesus for who he is, then, then we really truly begin to see who he's created us to be. And the enemy wants to put to death the real you. And so this morning, if you're living a life of regret and unforgiveness and you're paralyzed, he's going to let you stay there today and the rest of your life. But when you're walking in freedom to sin and when you're walking not with bitterness in your heart and you're living in the present and, and, and you're, you're not walking with bitterness and you're not paralyzed, then the enemy's gonna try to attack that real you. The work of redemption in your life is about God taking everything that the enemy has meant for destruction, everything that you've stumbled onto and shouldn't have, the neglect that you felt this moment where this happened or this situation went bad for you or this event or this moment or this regret, to take all of that and redeem it and weaponize it and send it right back to its original call, sin, death, demonic principalities and powers. Christ showing his victory over every plan the enemy had to destroy you by weaponizing it against the very one who it is in the initial cause. This gives us tremendous victory. This morning, if you're honest with yourself, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but I just wonder how many in this room are living more in the past than in the, the real vision of what God wants you to do right now. Maybe some of you have regrets from, from your past that are so significant, and I, I just hope that this passage this morning just gives you hope. 
that you recognize that if Paul could go on and accomplish all that he did for the glory and for the kingdom of God, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. I wanna encourage each of us today to take that next step and maybe for some of you, that next step is today to choose to become a follower of him. I'm gonna ask that you would bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. If God was pleased to reveal his son to Paul, can I tell you this morning that God is pleased to reveal his son Jesus to you today. So for somebody today, this next step is gonna become to become a follower of Jesus. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say this morning, I need to become a follower of Jesus, I've never asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And today I wanna begin a relationship with him, or maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. And you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. If that's you, when I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. One, two. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand all across this room. There are at least two hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Again, text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made in the journey that God wants to take you on. Final thoughts, and then I want to pray for you. Worship team's going to lead us in a song. Prayer team's going to come to the front. And if you've come here needing prayer for anything, I would encourage you in just a moment to step out of your seat and come forward for prayer. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. The enemy wants you to be stuck and to think that where you're at right now is the destination and that that's all that God has for you. And I just wanna encourage you this morning to get unstuck. And the way to get unstuck is to make a move. The way to get unstuck is to take the next step. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus still, then become a follower of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've not taken the step to go public with your faith and be water baptized, take that next step. If you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'd encourage you to seek after spiritual gifts, eagerly uh, desire spiritual gifts. Sign up for a growth track if you've not gone through growth track. If you've not been part of a small group, men's small group, sisterhood small group, do whatever you need to do to take that next step so that you realize that God has more for you than where you're at today. Let me pray over us this morning. God, we thank Thank you for your word. We're not grateful for Paul's past, but what we are grateful for is that you redeemed it. 
in that you transformed his heart, that you saved him, and that he became a radical force for your glory and for your kingdom. And so, God, this morning, I pray for those who feel like they are on the outside of the boundaries of your grace, that today that they would realize that there is no such thing, that you gave your life for church saints and for the worst of sinners. And so this morning, for those who are still holding out, for those who are still resisting becoming a follower of you, I pray that you would break down those walls in their life, that you would overcome and overwhelm the lies of the enemies that have been spoken over people in this room and online, that they're not good enough, that they could never experience your grace, and that today, that your truth, that your words spoken over that would overcome years of lies in their life. May your spirit just flood hearts and minds right now. Would you transform and save people's lives. God, I pray that you would take the worst of people in our community, that you would save them and turn them around to be a great cause for you. We thank you that our days were determined before we were born, before we even breathed. God, you, you were working on our behalf. You've created us for the days and the days for us. I pray that we would walk in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.